Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open with me to Genesis chapter 12. We'll read verses 1 through 10 there in just a moment. I want to talk about a new direction. Appreciate uh, the folks who filled in for me last week. Uh, had a pretty bad dose of the crud for about two weeks, and I thought I could weather it. And uh, after having it for eight days, decided I couldn't weather it. And so I went to my doctor, Dr. James Warren, down at Piedmont Physicians. He's a great guy, straight shooter. I really like him. Walked in, he did some tests and stuff and did a flu test. It came back negative. And and, uh, when it came back negative, he told me, he says, even the flu won't have anything to do with you. (laughs) So uh, so I'm looking for a new doctor. And... um, but I walked into, uh, when I finally decided to go, it was, it was, of course, all the days this past week have been cold, some colder than others, but uh, the day that I decided finally to go to the doctor, it was really cold, and I stayed in the house, and so uh, I decided to bundle up and have this long black coat that I normally wear for funerals and stuff. Had that long black coat on, it was, it was buttoned up, and I had a fedora hat, because I'm a hat guy. I like hats. I like fedora hats. I don't wear them much. I'd wear one to preach in, but y'all wouldn't like it, and my wife wouldn't like it. And so she doesn't like me wearing hats. So she didn't go with me to the doctor's office. I wore a fedora hat and my long black coat. And I walked into the doctor's office, and there were a lot of folks there, a lot of folks there, uh, all of them contaminated. And uh, there, was a, there was a sign on the, uh, on the uh, uh, reception's desk. There you go. Uh, had several receptions, and, and at several places there was a sign that said, if you feel bad, wear a surgical mask. I just want you to think about that for a minute. You walk into a doctor's office during flu season, and there's a sign there that says, if you feel bad. You reckon there's anybody there who's there because they felt good? Boy, I just, oh, I feel good, I'm going to go see Dr. Warren. That's what I'm going to do next week. I'm going to feel good, I'm going to go see him. No, you feel bad. So I went in there, and I, I felt terrible. In fact, uh, the first thing Dr. Warren said when he came into the examination room, he, says, uh, he said, how are you? I said, and, and I said, Man, doctor, I'm dying. And I was hoarse. I could, I could hardly speak. And so I, I, when I answered him, I answered him, not meaning to, in my Vito Corleone voice because I couldn't help it. I said, doctor, I'm, I'm dying, you know. And so, anyway, I walk into the room, and there's all these signs say, if you feel bad, get a surgical mask. So uh, I felt bad, so I, I walked up the reception, and I pulled out one of those, uh, out of one of those boxes a surgical mask, and I put it on. Mainly because, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't want other people there to get what I had. But on a selfish note, I didn't want what they had. You know what I'm saying? I was sick enough without their contaminants. So I decided I was going to wear a mask, and I did that. Well, he decided I had a very severe bacterial infection, and he uh, prescribed me a a pretty serious antibiotic and some cough medicine. It was some prescription cough medicine. It was really some great stuff. Uh, I I would 
I would go and get me some more of it, but on the bottom of the medicine thing, it says, by law, no refills allowed. That's the first time I've ever had medication on the bottom says, by law, no refills allowed. I knew when I read that it was going to be some good stuff. And so, anyway, so I leave the doctor's office and I go down to uh, Walmart where, because I go to the Walmart pharmacy to get my prescriptions. I walk in there and I hand them the prescription. This, this cough medicine was so serious that they couldn't, they couldn't email it in or call it in. I had to hand deliver it. You ever had that happen to you? First time I ever had that happen to me. And so uh, the uh, pharmacist behind the counter, and she said, this is going to take 35, 40 minutes for you to get that. Do you want to wait? I said, I'm going to wait for this stuff. I'm definitely going to wait for this stuff and this uh, antibiotic. So I sat down. Now, get the picture, ladies and gentlemen. This is Walmart in Noonan. I'm in Walmart. I've got a long black coat buttoned up, fedora hat, and, yes, I still had on my surgical mask in Walmart. And I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there in the, uh, the little, uh, they, have met, they have metal benches in the Walmart pharmacy. They don't want you there long. And so I'm sitting there, and I get thinking, because I'm impatient, I said, you know, I don't want to sit here waiting for this. I'm going to stroll through Walmart. <laughs> and uh, I decided I don't want to overexert myself because I'm sick, you know. And so I, I'm going to go, I, I'm going to go aisle by aisle down Walmart, and I'm going to go real slow. And so I'm just going real slow. I've got on my coat, my long black coat, and I've got on my fedora hat, and I, I started noticing, so, and I've got on my, mer- my surgical mask, and I'm walking aisle by aisle. Mothers are pulling their children away. <laughs> grown men, grown men, I go down one aisle, I go down the toilet paper aisle, the, the tissue aisle. I turn down that aisle, and at the end of it, there'd be a guy, this old grown guy. He would, he would start down it, and he would look over at me, and he'd just freeze and strategically would make a new direction, point this way. And uh, I could hear, as I was walking down the Walmart aisle, you know, they got those little black half bubbles, and they have cameras in them. Did you know that? They think they're hiding that from you by putting them in this bubble, and I could hear them moving, following me. They're moving. And what I would do, I made it a little worse because I would come down the aisle, and as I was walking really slow with my hands in my pockets and my long black suit, coat, and I'd, have, I'd be looking down, and my, my hat was down over my, my uh, forehead, and I just kind of look like that right there. And i just look at people right under my brow. I was walking into Walmart. And uh, I started, I didn't do this, but I started to put Ebola, right Ebola with a marquee <laughs> across, across my uh, surgical mask because I, I felt like, now I, I don't know if this would have been true or not, but I think had I done that, it would have been the first time in a decade that I'd have had no line at the cash register to Walmart I could have checked out. So finally got my medication and headed out, and I went out in the car, and right before I got in the car, I turned around, there were 10 security officers in a line out in front of the Walmart watching me. Um, I only tell you that because at each aisle that I would walk down, I could tell people were deciding to make a new direction, and this sermon is about a new direction. See, I'm going to tie it into a sermon somehow for you, a new direction. Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abram, 
Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whosoever, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev, which is the southern part of uh, Palestine, right on the border of Israel and Egypt. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. In the Bible, there are several pictures that are used as analogies to a life of faith. Several pictures that biblical writers gave us to help us better understand the life of faith. And I think that the most prominent picture that is an analogy to a life of faith that we find in scriptures is the analogy of a journey. A trip down a certain path. We see that in so many passages. Just to give you a few of the examples of what I'm talking about, in the whole book of Exodus, and you add to that the book of Numbers, the children of Israel go from captivity in Egypt to 40 years in the Arabian desert until they finally reach the promised land and cross the Jordan going into the land of Canaan. But the entire thing is a journey. And as the, writers of, uh, as the writer of Exodus and Numbers is describing this narrative, describing this story, not only are they relating the literal, physical journey of the Israelites through this desert, but they are likening it to their journey of faith through the desert of life. And it does not take a theological rocket scientist to read Exodus and Numbers. And, and as we read it, we find ourselves in this ongoing journey with the Israelites through this desert. Life of faith is depicted as a journey. Psalm 32, verse 8, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. The way, it's a word translated, could be translated in the pathway, in the journey in which you should go. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways or pathways or journeys, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. He will direct your paths. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 32 in the New Testament Jesus said this, he says, For John the baptizer came to you to show you the way, the pathway to righteousness, but you did not believe him. 
In John chapter 14, verse 6, talking to his disciples, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the route you must take. I am the road you must traverse if you want to get to God. Luke chapter 13, verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. If you're familiar with the gospel of Luke, you know that beginning with Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 says that Jesus steadfastly put his face toward Jerusalem. And from Luke chapter 9 all the way through the final chapter of Luke, all the way through, you occasionally see Luke using this phrase, as they were on the way, as they were moving on their way. And that whole idea is them moving on the way to Jerusalem, and Luke used it theologically to picture our journey, our way from where we are to where God has destined us to be. In fact, this whole idea of a life of faith as a journey became so entrenched by the time Jesus was crucified and resurrected and the church was born that people outside the church struggling to find a a name, a title to give the new church. They call these people, people of the way. We see that in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, when Saul, who later would be the Apostle Paul, when he was not a Christian, he was a terrorist, terrorizing the young Christian church. And the writer of Acts describes what Paul or Saul was doing in in this manner, Acts chapter 9. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest. He asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners. Acts chapter 19, verse 23. About that time there arose a great disturbance among many people concerning those who were of the way. See what I'm talking about? The life of faith is so many times Old and New Testament depicted for us as a journey, as a pathway, as a traveling down a certain road. And nowhere do we see this more clearly dramatized for us than in the life of Abraham, beginning with Genesis chapter 12. That first verse is so pivotal. In fact, it's so pivotal, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. That one verse is so pivotal that it is the dividing point in the book of Genesis. You can, can, uh, in general terms, divide Genesis into two parts, chapters 1 through 11, and then chapter 12 through chapter 50. And it all hinges on that one single verse. In fact, that one single verse changes everything after it, not only in Genesis, but to the end of the Old Testament, on into the New. Because that one command to Abraham and Abraham's focused response to that command affects everything else in the Bible. And so Abraham sets out on this journey of faith. And his journey of faith is like the Israelites' journey of faith. It's like your journey of faith is like my journey of faith. And as I look at Abraham's journey, every time I look at it, I find 
so many things in his journey that I see in my own journey and want to apply to my journey. And so I want to share with you four of those. First of all, in your journey of faith, you and I need to know that following God's directions means obeying God without having all the answers. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that awfully frustrating. Uh, people have different personalities. I know you know this, and um, some people have a bull personality, uh, which means they're, they're very uh, uh, cut to the chase, bottom line, take initiative. Uh, uh, Toby Potter has a bull personality. And that's not a negative thing. I didn't mean it as a negative thing. You know, people who have bull, many of you have bull personalities. We, we come, it comes with standard equipment, really, it does. Um, and, and Toby's just one I, I think about. He he's definitely has a bull personality. Take charge. If you want somebody to handle something, take charge with it. He's your guy. Uh, some people have a tiger personality, which is uh, uh, they're, they're jokester-type people. They're laugh-of-the-party type people. They, they make quick decisions. Sometimes they're impulsive decisions. They may be right, may be wrong. Uh, you, if you're in a, a group of 50 people, you're going to see the tiger person because they're right in the middle drawing everybody to them. They're the funnest people to be with, and, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're cool people. A lot of you are tigers. I'm not going to point out anybody. Maybe. Then there are lambs. They're very, they're very quiet, low-key people eager to please, very sensitive to other people's opinions. They're slow to make a decision because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But they're great friends. They're very loyal friends. And then there are owls. I'm an owl. Owls are very analytical. We're not good on our feet. We're not quick on our feet. Now, my wife is a bull. She, she, know, I, no, she knows this, and she's very quick on her feet. I mean, she's amazingly quick on her feet. She can come up immediate with, immediately with answers that take me three months to, to get. I have to think through them. I have to digest them. And uh, so I, I, can't, I can't make quick decisions. If I do, I'll make a wrong decision almost every time. Um, I'm looking down here at John Crespo. He's, he's a, a car uh, dealer down at uh, Parkway Mitsubishi. If you need to buy a car, go see John. John's been trying to get me to buy a car. But I, a car, car salesmen hate, they hate owls. Because owls, are, they, they take forever to make a decision. Been, I, 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 saw, I saw a car over at John's place three years ago, and he and I have been talking about it ever since, and he's been trying to sell. I, I don't know. I, may, I just don't know. I don't know. It's gone from a new car to a used car, and when I finally buy it, it's probably going to have that little antique car license plate on it, you know. For a person like me who's analytical, uh, the fact that God gives us directions without a lot of the details just drives me nuts because I'm the type of person I like to have all the information at my disposal before I make a decision and, and... God will never do that. He will never give you every detail you want before he calls upon you to make a decision. I mean, think about this. Here, here's, here's the instruction God gave Abraham. Now, Abraham is, is uh, he's down in what is southern, the, tip of, uh, the southern tip of modern-day Iraq. 
down near the Persian Gulf. And God says, verse 1, Go from your country, from your people, from your father's household to the land I will show you. Brother, that's all the details he got. I don't know many people who would leave the house on that kind of scant information. I wouldn't. Abraham did. But but the thing about it is, God wasn't asking him to go outside his door and, and go three miles down the street. The journey that God was calling Abraham to take would end up being about a 700 to 800 mile journey to a place Abraham had never seen. And all in the world information he gave him was, I want you to get up, get away from your country, your family, your household, and I want you to go, and when you get there, I will tell you you are there. That's it. Now, there's a lot of stuff in between the time that God said go and the time that Abraham arrived in Canaan. A lot of stuff that God knew would occur, and God did not reveal that to Abram. And it says something to us. When God gives you direction, old or new direction, in your life, he will not give you all the information that you think, you and I think we need to make our decision. And the reason for that is God will always require us to make decisions based on faith. Not on knowledge. If you had all the information at your disposal, you could make an intelligent decision, but it would be a decision based upon the knowledge you have. But instead of that, God will never give you all the information, but he will always require you to make a decision based upon the scant information that he's given you and because he wants you to trust him. Second thing I want you to see is this. Following God's direction does not mean abandoning your family but rather it does mean rightly prioritizing your family. Now, I find a strange uh, situation here because God says in verse 1 to Abram, go from your country, from your people, from your father's household to the land that I'll show you. Now, if I take that literally, what, what I'm hearing God literally say to Abraham is, I want you to get away from your dad, I want you to get away from your brothers, I want you to get away from your wife, I want you to get away from... Whatever you might have there in your homeland, I want you to go by yourself alone. But that, while that may look literally what, like what God is saying to Abraham, that is not what God intended Abraham to understand. And, fortunately, that's not what Abraham understood. He understood God the way God meant to be understood because in verse 4, it says, So Abram went, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Verse 5, and he took Sarah, his wife, his nephew Lot, and uh, earlier on we learn that he also took his father. Now, in Haran, uh, his father dies, but Abram took his family with him. And so God's initial instructions that sound so brutal in verse 1, get up away from your household, away from your country, away from your father's family to a place I'll show you. That What sounds so brutal at first Really, what God was saying is, look, I'm not saying for you to abandon your family, but I will say to you that while you are to hold your family up in a high regard, in a high place in your life, that place in your family should never be as high as where God is in your life. And that's really difficult for us. Very difficult for us to put God above our companions, our children, our parents. Very difficult. And yet that is exactly 
what God says, not only here for Abram, but also uh, in, in Luke, in the, in the New Testament, Luke 14, 26. Listen to what Jesus says. You don't get any more brutal sounding than this. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and hate his mother and hate his wife and hate his children and hate his brothers and sisters, that person cannot be a disciple of mine. Now, Jesus didn't literally mean hate. The word hate there literally means you can't put them above God in your life. And so the journey with God, a direction with God, a new direction with God, calls for us to have a high place for our family, but that place can never be as high for us as the place that God must hold in our lives. Number three, God's direction guarantees not the absence of problems, but rather the presence of problems, the presence of God in the face of our problems. Listen, if we ever assume that following Christ will be like walking through a bed of roses in a park, we need to think again. The life of faith in Christ is is fraught with obstacles, all of which are designed, are there and are designed to strengthen us, but some of them are treacherous. When Abram got to the place where God finally wanted him to go, after he had traveled almost 800 miles, God says to him, Abraham, I'm paraphrasing here, you've arrived. You're here. And Abram looked around after God said, you're here. And Abram saw some things he did not expect to see. First, in verse number 6, he found out that the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 6, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Canaanites were a violent, pagan, not God-fearing, and not humanity-caring-about people. They were fierce, they were treacherous, and Abram did not expect that when he got to the land God had promised him that he would look up and find the Canaanites there. That was a, a, uh, an unwelcome, unexpected truth. And you know what? Uh, I find that the Canaanites are everywhere. My dad is a country preacher. He has pastored, I think, 10 churches. I... In my younger days, I had the privilege of being with him during seven of those. And then I pastored three churches myself. You know what I found out about every single church I've ever been in? The Canaanites are there. They are. And I've left churches before because the Canaanites were there and went in search of a church without a Canaanite. And they showed up. Listen, you go on a journey with God, let me guarantee you something. You want a guarantee? There are a few guarantees in life. Here's one of them. Wherever God leads you, there will be Canaanites. But that wasn't the only unexpected thing that Abram ran into. In verse number 9, there was a famine. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. 
So Abram gets to the place where God told him to go, and when he gets there, he finds the Canaanites in the land, and he finds a severe famine in the land. So what does Abram do? He continues on and goes to Egypt. God never told him to go to Egypt. Never. You know what this means? It means that Abram, this is one of the few places where Abram makes a very serious mistake. He's not a man who is prone to making mistakes, but in this case... Abram decided that he would rather go down to Egypt where God did not want him to be than he would to have trusted God where the famine and the Canaanites were. Let me tell you what God wants you to do. You go where he wants you to be and you find Canaanites there and famine in the land. Here's what God wants you to do. God wants you to trust him in the famine and God wants you to trust him in the presence of the Canaanites. Because if you can trust God in the face of the Canaanites and severe famine, you'll trust God when there are no Canaanites and there is no famine. Now here's what God did say to him. Verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will ensure that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And I will make sure that everybody on earth is blessed through you. That's seven I wills. Last time I looked, the number seven was a pretty important number in Scripture. has something to do with God. God's kind of number. What God was doing there was promising, not the absence of problems, but the assurance of God's presence in the midst of the problems. Finally, Following God's direction requires more trust than understanding. If you're the type of person like me who, who you really like to understand fully what you're getting into before you take a, a, a leap into it, you, you, you're not going to have a hard time with God. Because God works in such a way that we have to exercise trust and faith rather than intellectual, complete, exhaustive intellectual understanding of a situation. A life of faith, the journey of faith requires trust. It requires believing that God will do what nobody else thinks that he can do. Mother Teresa, early in her ministry, had a dream. And in the dream, she had three pennies. And she sensed God saying, her, saying something to her in her dream. And what she sensed God saying was that God wanted her to start and build an orphanage. And so when she woke up from her dream, she prayed about her dream, thought about it, and prayed about it some more. And finally, she went to some of her superiors in the Catholic Church. And she said this, she says, uh, God wants me to use these three pennies I have to build an orphanage. And her superiors reprimanded her. They said, well, Mother Teresa, that's all wonderful and that's all well and we appreciate all this dream stuff, but you need to understand you can't build an orphanage with three pennies. In fact, three pennies won't build anything. And Mother Teresa said, I know that, but with God and three pennies, I can build anything. She knew what Abraham came to know 
And that is you have to trust God when you can't see what he's going to do. It's a new year. And for some of us, God's going to lead us in the same direction that he's been trying to lead us in for a long time. For others, he's going to take us in a new direction. The question is, how far will we trust him without all the information? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. Love, as great as that word is, does not have enough calories to fully express our love for you and certainly is not even close to expressing the extent of your love for us. That you care for us enough that you give us direction in life. It's pretty amazing. God, help us to be reconciled to the fact that when you direct us, you don't give us all the information we'd like to have. But help us to trust you and to act on the information you give. Because the information you give will always be enough. And the provision that you give, along with your presence, will always see us through whatever we face on the journey you lead us on. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.